Welcome to Say Yes and Become. I'm your host, Leonard Lee, and we are on day two, Monday of Holy Week. Let's get started. In 1980, Bonnie Tyler asked a question. It's actually a question I can hear echoed across the world even today. I hear it in a whisper, in a prayer, in a sigh. When powerlessness and hopelessness collide, I hear it. I see it on the faces of people. I see it as people make their journeys from day to day, from place to place. The question knows no gender, ethnicity, social or economic limitations, or even a specific age. The question, while framed in the prose of the masculine, is much broader. It's a request for a strong man. It's a request for a rescuer and for rescue. Is there anyone out there who can help me? Oh, and did I mention the request came in a song from 1980? And the words go something like this. Where have all the good men gone and where are all the gods? Where's the streetwise Hercules to fight the rising odds? Isn't there a white night upon a fiery steed? Late at night I toss and turn and I dream of what I need. And then it goes, I need a hero. <laughs> I am holding out for a hero till the end of the night. And he's got to be strong and he's got to be fast and he's got to be fresh from the fight. I need a hero. I'm holding out till the morning light. He's got to be sure and he's got to be soon and he's got to be larger than life. For more than 400 years, the people of God faced the world around them. The rising oppression of Rome, the influence of the Greeks, the encroachment of other religions and their worship, all without a voice from God to guide them. These 400 years are called the, by theologians the silent years. 400 years, there is no prophet, no representative from God to protect, to defend, to speak, to comfort, or provide the kind of hope needed inside of a soul. There's a need for a hero. The Jewish people were scattered across the world, some free. Many others felt the chains of slave masters. These people were tied to cultures that were not their own. They lived under the weight of economic shortages, often the object of ridicule and even racial discrimination and bigotry. For those who live closer to home, Jerusalem and Israel, in Jerusalem and Israel, the struggles were the same. For these locals, access to the temple and the celebrations were less burdensome, but still difficult. So it is not any wonder that pilgrimages were a part of the cultural process of straining for hope for a hero. During the Passover, it was not uncommon for the city of Jerusalem to have people from all over Israel whose pilgrimage might be a once-in-a-lifetime trip to make an offering to the temple, in the temple. And in addition, Jewish people traveled from around the world to make their way to the holy city, the city of the great king, the city where the promised one that would sit on David's throne forever. By the way, David was one of those heroes. As the people entered the temple area to make a sacrifice, according to their law, they would need to purchase doves or some other animal for the sacrifice. They would need to make a financial gift of some kind so as they went into the temple, they could have this, this connection with God as they worshiped. But what had happened was, is they would come from other places where they didn't exactly have the currency that was acceptable in the temple. So just outside the temple, there were what they called money changers. They, they, they kind of blocked the door to the temple. And when the people who would come, they would exchange their coins 
for a fee, an exchange rate. And coins from other regions from further away, uh, their currencies weren't accepted, so they had to trade them. And sometimes they had to purchase animals for sacrifice. Somebody would say, what you brought isn't good enough, or you traveled so far that what you brought has not survived the trip, or you didn't even bring it, you intended to buy it here. Here's the catch. These people were not simply providing a service. They were extorting people and chase, charging outrageous prices that required uh, animal, for the required animals, and they were gouging people with ridiculous currency exchange fees. This corruption masquerading as something spiritual kept many people away from God by creating a financial barrier to entering into the temple to make a sacrifice or to give a gift in worship. On this Monday, Monday of Holy Week, it's possible the theme song that formed in the hearts of people as they were turned away or were financially gouged was, I need a hero. Somebody's got to do something about this. The day before had the entire city buzzing. Could the one who rode in on the donkey be the one who the people called the king? Could he be the hero? Could he be the one that they shouted, save now? Could he be the one that could actually do the saving? I imagine when Jesus and his entourage approached the temple, that the sounds of curiosity amplified the whispers of hope. And they began to echo in the hearts of the people and in the streets of Jerusalem. For the disciples of Jesus, the day I'm sure carried many surprises too. The day before, it seemed the entire city sang to their best friend, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us now, save us now. The king, the one we have been waiting for, our hero is here. Their thoughts must have been racing. They had seen Jesus walk on water, raise the dead, heal blind people, crippled hands, feet, and legs were mended just at his voice. They had heard from the front row Jesus speak words that could only come from God. Words that literally dripped with the wisdom and truth from heaven. These friends of Jesus watched as those who would try to arrest him, force him to be king, argue with him over truth, set traps for him, shout him down for his treatment of the Sabbath, all placed under the unstoppable mission to seek and save the lost. So to them... Yesterday, you know, Palm Sunday, the Hosanna, Hosanna day. It just seemed like the natural conclusion of his journey to Jerusalem. The king is in the house. The hero is here. On their way into the city, Jesus and his disciples passed by a fig tree. It had no fruit. And upon seeing this, the fruitlessness of this tree, Jesus cursed it. It's possible one of the disciples said quietly, note to self, get Jesus figs in the morning. The disciples' anticipation grew larger the closer they got to the temple. None of them seemed to notice Jesus' collection of cords and sticks along the way. They knew that there couldn't be a better place to announce that the king was about to set up his kingdom, and in the temple, no less, it's on. We have a hero. They seemed pretty focused as he approached the entrance to the temple. The cords and the sticks now took the shape of a makeshift whip. In a sudden swift motion, Jesus took the whip, slammed it on the table at the entrance. The loud crack silenced the people inside, startling all who heard it. Making his way forward, Jesus swung the whip, striking some of the corrupt money changers, and he began to tip tables over. 
Coins fell to the ground. Sacrificial animals were escaping as their cages were tipped and broken. People scattered. Onlookers were stunned as Jesus made his way into the entrance of the temple. Can you hear it? The song that echoed in their hearts now is an anthem. I need a hero. I'm holding on till the end of the night and he's got to be strong. He's got to be fast and he's got to be fresh from the fight. The people were singing they needed a hero, a savior. Hosanna, save us now. Can I make a few observations about Holy Week, about this Monday of Holy Week? Recently, while speaking to a group of people, I was asked, when is it okay to turn over some tables? When can we say enough is enough? It's about time to take names and kick some booty. As the conversation unfolded, I asked a few questions. Whose tables do we want flipped? (laughs) they paused and thought about that for a second. See, today we've got enough bad guys. Those guys who are infringing upon our rights in in, in politics and and morality and our standings and our freedoms. We need to tip over the tables of those people who want to take away our rights. We want to turn the tables of the homosexual, the abortionist, the criminal. But can I make an observation for you? Jesus didn't turn any of those tables over. Those were not the tables he flipped. He flipped the tables of those who stood at the door of the temple. Jesus flipped the tables of those who were supposed to be making access to God, but chose to make money on access to God. To those who extorted the people, Jesus flipped the tables of people, the people who chose not to care about the connection others had to God unless they got theirs. As I write and speak these words, a question services in my heart and mind. Have I missed whose tables need turning? Jesus, do I have a table or two you need to flip? Here's another question I asked. Why do you want tables to be flipped? You see, you've got to understand something. At this moment, Jesus was about to undo all the rituals and sacrificial practices of God's people. In a few days, he would become the ultimate sacrifice and final sacrifice for sin. His death on a cross, his covering of sin would give access to all the people. The temple curtain would be torn from top to bottom, showing that everyone now has direct access to God. The law, the traditions surrounding its practice were now going to be either fulfilled or changed. The gospel is the ultimate flipping of tables. Jesus did the most heroic act in human history. He paid the penalty for humanity's sin. For his friends, his enemies, for those who were at the tables, for those who were passing by the tables, for those who were alive, for those who had not yet lived, and for those whose lives had already finished. Jesus took the weight of sin upon himself just five days after turning the tables. For Jesus, flipping tables was not about recapturing some sense of morality, returning a nation to the mooring of faith, but rather about creating a more clear pathway to the Father. As he turned tables over, Jesus could be heard saying, my Father's house is a house of prayer. I think he said that because prayer is the place where everyone can access God. Jesus was committed to moving people towards the Father, removing the table, so to speak, that would block the way. So here's the final question I have in my mind and in my heart. Will I let Jesus clear the path for me? 
Is there something in my life that I can identify that needs to be moved so I can run to my Father in heaven? Is there a sin I need to confess? A pride I need to release? A wound I need to lay at his feet? Is there a table that I need to have turned over? Can I give you a good news story that comes from Monday of this week? You see, I need a hero. I need a hero who will go before me and clear a pathway to the Father. And the good news is I have one. His name is Jesus. And the good news, he is the only one who can do what he did. Hey, we'll see you tomorrow on Tuesday.